Hey friends, Daniel Schreiner here with the Disciple Henson Podcast. I'm feeling good as I just ate a delicious homemade chocolate chip cookie with some M&Ms made by Lily Haug from the Young Adult Bible Study upstairs. Uh, in other news, uh, this week we have my friend and famous country singer, Austin Davis, who is on the show discussing the topic of accountability. Uh, the most surprising thing about this episode is we recorded for almost 30 minutes without Austin making one inference or one reference or quote from the hit show The Office or Michael Scott. Check out the episode notes for some resources on accountability and even a good quote. Hope you enjoy. And Austin isn't really a country singer, but he's a good guy. Hey, Austin. Hey, Dan. Do you ever listen to this show? Yeah, I listen to the show most weeks. Oh, we got a, a loyal listener, LL. Yeah. It's not every day you get to be on a podcast you listen to. It's not every day. I'm not on it every day either. Um, Austin, do you remember the first time you saw the Pacific Ocean? I was with you that fateful day. What was your response to such a glorious sight? Yeah, earlier that year, I'd seen the Mediterranean and I had to get in. So I made up my mind. If I Mediterranean see Mediterranean food? No, the Mediterranean Sea. And you so saw I was the Mediterranean like, I, Sea and the Pacific Ocean in the same year? Within the same few months, yeah. And so I just knew if I find a new body of water, I have to go into it. So so tell us about We were that. at the coast for the residence retreat, and uh, I'd been talking a big game all day that I was going to have to jump in, and everyone kept saying how cold it was. And actually, the whole walk out, Michael kept telling me about sharks feeding around that time of day, because... Michael's so kind. And I walked down to the water by myself while you all watched, and I jumped in about four inches of water, and it took my breath away, and I ran straight back to where you guys were sitting. That's funny. The As time has gone on, my memory has you like rolling around in the waves, but you only you only got your feet wet. In my head, I was going to like run out and jump and swim through a wave and come back, but it was so cold when my feet touched it, I like fell over into it, and it oh, took okay. my breath away. Okay. Yeah. But then it felt really warm outside after that. It was actually a really awesome feeling. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You I should still, do it next time. I don't think I will. Uh, but you could do it again because you're going to the beach later this week with Walker. Yeah, and I have the choice, but I'm going to choose not to. Hmm. You won't make Walker do that? No. He's too young. Austin, you talk funny. Where That's are you, not nice to Where say. are you from? I'm from Mississippi originally. Do you want to know more? Mm-hmm. I'm from a little town called Sumrall. Uh, they just say, got a stoplight. Normal. I, that's it. Sumrall. <laughs> Sumrall. Sumrall. They just got a stoplight a few years ago, and we live in a little community called Melby on the outside of Sumrall. And if anybody knows anything about Mississippi geography, it's southern Mississippi, near the city of Hattiesburg. And Brett Favre played college football there. That's the only reason you know where that is. Do you? Would your town have like parades on Fourth of July and yeah. throw candy to the kids? Yeah. Okay. Can you introduce yourself to us briefly, like when you became a Christian, how that happened, and then how you found yourself here? Tell us about your family, what you do for work, and in five seconds or less. That's going to be a long answer. So I was raised in a typical Southern home. I went to church most weeks growing up. When I was 10 years old, we went to see a movie about 9-11, and I was freaked out because we had been on a plane at that point, and I knew like in this movie, everyone died, and it was a true story. So me and my brother both, the whole way home, just cried our eyes out in the car ride home. Do you remember the movie? United 93. I've only seen it twice. The first time, 
when I became a Christian, okay. and then later in college I found it and rewatched it. Do you think it. that was the movie's intention to draw people to Christ? Uh, I doubt that was their purpose, but it sure worked. Okay, so, so you were you growing up going to church? I mean, how did you know to go from United Flight ninety three, the feature mm. film presentation, to Jesus? Yeah, Connect pretty much my whole childhood. I've been hearing the gospel from like my grandmother and my mom. Um, I went to a Christian school from like pre K through first grade, and like everyone got saved in first grade, but me. I, I prayed all the time, and nothing happened. And so I already did had all, the gospel. Did in my the, mind. all the other first graders start speaking in tongues? But you? No, but you went up to the front of the room, and they like sang a song and clapped for you. And I always wanted that, but I would pray, and nothing would happen. So I just never got to go up front. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it was kind of sad. But I'm looking back. I'm thankful as a six year old. Like I knew nothing had happened. Huh despite all the peer pressure there. Uh-huh. But then four faithful years later, yes, I you literally know. was scared to death. And then, so when we made it home, mom came in our room and basically walked me and my brother Dustin down the Roman road. And then I prayed in my little twin bed and I felt something different. I felt peace. I felt like it was like a weight was taken off me. And then we went to the pastor's office at church uh, that Sunday and I cried a lot in his office and uh, he thought we understood the gospel. And then we, that same Sunday, walked down the aisle at the end of the service and I was baptized a week later. So you think that's when, when you were 10 years old, that's when you genuinely came to know Christ? Yeah, I believe that I understood the gospel as well as a 10-year-old can uh-huh. and uh, that it was a genuine conversion. There was just a three-year gap in really being discipled. I didn't know what okay. to do. My whole childhood had been how to become a Christian. No one told me what to do after. And so when I was 13, a, uh, a college student that was helping with youth group discipled me and my buddy Skylar. So that's when everything really connected and uh, took off from there. Okay. And then you went, uh, fast forward, you went off to college. Were those good years for you spiritually? Yeah, they were great. I went to Ole Miss and uh, got involved with a college ministry, the Baptist Student Union. And Freshman year, uh, struggled to really find a church, but I had a, a good core group of Christian friends. And then sophomore year, I became a member of Grace Bible Church of Oxford and was a member there three years. It was a church a lot like Henson, uh, really a sweet time. So at that church and in the BSU, is that the yeah. vernacular or the abbreviation? It's the last place in the country that calls it BSU instead of BCM, Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Oh, but we're always the last at Mississippi and everything. Hmm. Good job. Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask is, did you guys have like accountability groups, discipleship groups? Did you, did you have a category for discipleship, mentorship, accountability? Yeah, I, I led uh, discipleship groups one year, and uh, they have a, they're really good with freshmen. They have a focus on getting freshmen in Bible studies for that first year of college. So I, we called it Fresh Start, and I was one of those Bible study leaders. And it was I was in one, and then I led one, and it was really fun. And then you came here. Yeah, so senior year of, of college, I start to be convinced that I am called to ministry, and I was meeting with a pastor of mine, and he recommended that if he could have done it over again, he would have done an internship before seminary. So my best friend Skyler was applying to Capitol Hill. I didn't want to step on his toes, but the Capitol Hill site pointed to Henson's residency, and so uh, we both applied here, too. And so... Had you ever been to the PAC NW? No. So you, the first time I came was for the uh, the interview. Like Jeff Chang emailed me like in mm-hmm, November and mm-hmm. said, "Hey, you should come out and be, spend a weekend." Mm-hmm. And it was uh, the last weekend of April I got to go and, of what and, year? and visit here. This was 2017. And you and I had uh, some time at Lardo with Neil. Yeah, uh, 
I had a great weekend and you were I, feeling really good about your chances. Yeah, you so felt I, like I'm, I'm moving to Portland and then I uh I bought you some dirty fries and mm-hmm. I told you Well, here's what happened. I had a great weekend. <laughs> I knew I was the least qualified guy, but I really thought I hit it off with Michael on a hike at Multnomah Falls. Like really hit it off. I kept using this Remember the Titans joke, so I thought he liked me. And you gave him a piggyback ride up up the falls? No. no that no was worse than him. Okay. But um so on that Monday before I go to the airport you are this is this is what you said uh brother uh i really want to commend you for taking the time spending the money flying out here with no real chance of getting in the program and really putting yourself out there without much experience like you just kept emphasizing how i shouldn't end up here yeah yeah and a week a week before i graduated michael uh emailed me and invited me to come out but i was fully convinced i wasn't going to get it thanks to you i do that with all uh incoming potential residents just to really lower their expectations but i i want i took my extra time with you i was about to say i doubt you did that with steven Barker, <laughs> but you don't have to answer that i'm just kidding yeah that was special for you so what about your but then you came you did the residency you said it was that in 2018 no, I did 20- the residency the fall of 2017. Fall of 2017. Yeah. You were a single man, That's but right. now you're a married man and That's even right. a fa- father. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know, if you come into the residency single, you have to leave single, but you can ask someone out a month in advance. And that's what I did. And so then I fell in love. Are those dated in our Kelsey. statement of practices, those rules? Uh, they should be. Yes. But uh, yeah, I started dating Kelsey in 2018. We got engaged and married in 2019 and you did that wedding i did and i called kelsey Lindsay. yeah she walked down the aisle and you said on behalf of austin and Lindsay, we're so excited you're all here and kelsey was really worked up and then uh-huh. that just made her laugh and that actually kind of worked out but for a moment there i was like oh no but you but you married kelsey i married kelsey yeah it wasn't one of those uh leah uh, rachel type situations right it was yeah. she was already happily married to andy who was also on stage so Lindsay and andy were already married mm. and uh, you just got confused what do you do for work austin i work at a marketing agency called ability and i'm a customer success coordinator so it's like project management customer service wrapped together do and they we put do, success in the in the title of your yeah. job so you feel better about yourself? Uh, it's it's my job to make sure the client is successful. So it's oh, more I of see. like the bar to reach. I see. And so we do digital marketing for business to business companies. So like a lot of tech companies, manufacturers, stuff like that. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds interesting. Um, we want to talk about accountability today. Oh, okay. Never mind. We're not going to talk about marketing? Cool. I mean, maybe we could do another podcast That's on fair. that. What is Christian accountability, Austin? It's a lot like my definition of discipleship. It's just Christians helping one another pursue Jesus, pursue Christ-likeness. And and how do you do that practically? Yeah, so... Actually, don't, don't, let's not do that yet. Let me go to the Bible? Let's go to the Bible first. That's always a better place to go before you get too practical. Yeah, I think that's smart. So biblically, where would we go to um, kind of support that definition or think about what Christian accountability is? Yeah, I think we see this Old Testament and New. I mean, you think of Nathan confronting David. That's that's a lot like accountability. You need someone that'll come and confront you in your sin. That's a great story. Yeah. Used it in accountability situations too, but that's mm. a great story, and that's a great example of what we're called to do in accountability. In the New Testament, I was thinking about this, and a lot of Paul's letters are basically accountability to a whole church. Like a lot of every time hmm. he gives a command for sanctification, he's saying that to a group of Christians and they're you know, the implication is they'll do this together. So anytime you're told, take off the old man, put on the new, that's to a group of Christians. Um, 
there's one place that I, uh, in particular, like uh, Hebrews 3, uh, verses 12 through uh, 14. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality we had at the start. So uh, in that Hebrews passage, we find this idea we're helping one another avoid being hardened by sin's deception. And that's what accountability is all about. Any other scriptures that come to mind? That's that's That Hebrews one's great. Yeah, so uh, you had mentioned uh, Philippians 2.13, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Um, a lot of Paul's letters have these places to talk about uh, Christian living. Um, I like uh, Romans 8.13, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. Um, or in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, take off your former way of life, the old self that's corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created in God's likeness, uh, in righteousness and purity of truth. Um, and then also 2 Corinthians three eighteen, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And so even there, it's a classic sanctification text, but in our accountability, we're beholding Christ together and being transformed. Uh, those are great passages to go to. In your definition, it sounded like you kind of merged discipleship and or discipling and mm-hmm. accountability together. How would they be different? Yeah, they would be different uh, in the sense that discipleship also is about increasing your knowledge, like understanding of scripture. And it's a bit more formative of, of the mind in that way. It's, it's your understanding of the faith and then accountability is, is more closely to how you live it out. So they're still really close together, but you know, you can just get together and read a book and grow in, in your understanding and not really ask questions about your practice. You should, but you may not. So, okay. You could correct me there, of course. No, I guess I, I think just um, the way that accountability is often talked about, like in the church and in Christian circles, is kind of holding someone accountable, maybe in particular sin struggles, and then pointing, uh, like, so in community, so either one-on-one or in groups, and then then pointing people to the gospel in the midst of that sin struggle and helping— helping that brother or sister. So yeah, I, I, I guess I see where the discipleship and the accountability cross over, but maybe we should just get to like, what does, what does discipleship and accountability look like, look like in your life right now, Austin? Yeah. Um, so honestly, one of the main ways I'm being discipled is through accountability. Um, mm. So okay. I, uh, for the past two years have attended an accountability group that meets twice a month uh, on Saturday mornings for a couple of hours, and uh, we we read through a book together or discuss scripture in the first hour, and then in the second hour, we go around the circle and everyone shares an update on the last two weeks. We ask questions, and then the next guy prays for that person, and then it goes on and on. And um, most everyone coming to that group, they've identified a sin they consistently struggle with. Um, the group was really foreign to deal with pornography in particular, but we. Um, we talk about, you know, all the sins that we struggle with in that group. So it's not just identified by we're the guys that struggle with porn and we meet together. It's, it's broader than that. Um, but it's really focused in on sexual sin in particular. And, um, 
we just we ask questions and um, depend on prayer and uh, we can talk more about that but yeah let's talk more about thing. that but let's talk first about just the whole philosophy of of doing something like that I think if someone just kind of in the world like an unbeliever mm-hmm. were to hear that you were doing something like that there'd be like so you like share the bad things that you've done and and then you're shamed you're publicly shamed right and uh, but that's not what's happening no, that's not what's happening. Um, uh, to, to the outside person, they would look at it like an AA group or some sure. kind of okay. like Alcohols Anonymous. My yep. name is Austin and I haven't had a drink in so long. They would think that's what it is. Uh-huh. Um, but that's really not what the group is about. It's not a 12-step program. It's not. Um, that's where it goes wrong if you, you treat it like a, a worldly um, self-help group. It's not that. Okay. Uh, do you Have you ever experienced accountability being unhelpful for a Christian. I think some, some, uh, sometimes we maybe avoid putting ourselves in that situation because we think perhaps focusing on a particular sin will actually make it grow worse or um, that we this is something that's private and we should handle ourselves. I'm, I'm getting off into a little, lot yeah. of different things, but the basic question is, can accountability ever become unhelpful or unhelpful methods of accountability? Yeah, accountability can go wrong. And you and you mentioned like it, pu- the public shame thing can go really wrong. Um, and so that was that's one of the main ways is if your group becomes an opportunity to berate somebody or shame them for failing. Um, that's not what the group is about. It's meant to build each other up, not tear each other down. Um, yeah, so that's that's the big way it can go wrong. And I think what uh, is tempting in our group in the past is it's easy to make those groups about security controls. So it's like, maybe I have to get rid of my smartphone. Maybe I need mm. covenant eyes. And we do talk about those things. But if you become overly dependent on a security control, security control, I keep saying it with my accent. Uh, if that's what you're depending on. We actually on, like your accent. Okay. Yeah. If, if you're depending on those things and not on the spirit, it's not really Christian accountability. It's just any other kind of self-help. And uh, we really intentionally try to hold those in balance. They're useful, but we really want to depend on the spirit and the word and prayer uh, as we fight our sin. Uh, another way I think is if it becomes all about track records and mm. you build up your confidence as a Christian based on, I haven't committed my pet sin in two months. Because then when you finally do give in, whenever it is, all that confidence comes crashing down and you're dead in the water. Um, so you really want to avoid that overly performance-based uh, understanding of it. How do we ensure, kind of as a follow-up to that, how our accountability doesn't creep towards legalism or moralism? Yeah, that's a huge question, and that's always a temptation. Um, I really think that you focus on the outcome. You focus on what what's this accountability producing, and it really boils down to uh, legalism is producing pride in you. So if, if it's all about how well you're doing, how well you're killing your sin by yourself, uh, you're going to be legalistic, and then you're going to be prideful towards people in your life that aren't doing so well. So if they're not growing and they're not fighting their sin, you're going to feel yourself puffed up over them. Um, the, the other side of that, uh, to make sure that we're not uh, falling into legalism, is our accountability is meant to produce love. Um, so you think about Luke 7, the story where the woman uh, goes to Jesus and breaks the alabaster jar and washes his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. There's a Pharisee sitting there looking at Jesus saying, if he knew who she was, he wouldn't let her do that. 
And Jesus knows what he's thinking because he's Jesus. And he tells the story of uh, uh, two debtors. One owes 50 denarii, one owes 500. And he asked the Pharisee, who do you think is going to love the creditor more when he forgives them since they can't pay it back? And the Pharisee says, I assume the one who owed the bigger debt. So then Jesus says, that's right. And then he commends the woman for all the hospitality she's shown. And he rebukes the Pharisee for showing no hospitality. And the point being, the Pharisee thought he owed a smaller debt. The woman knew the debt that she owed, and she knew that Christ forgave it. So she overflowed with love. And there's just the famous, uh, the one who's been forgiven of much loves much. So if our accountability is doing what it ought to, we should be the ones most aware of the debt that we owe, the sins we've been forgiven of, and we should overflow with love, love for Jesus and love for each other. That's that's a great example. Um, and the Lord used that Luke 7 passage powerfully in my life in college to kind of wake me up to ways that I was living a performance-based kind of Christian life mm-hmm. and not resting in the gospel. Austin, as you, you, you've done accountability here in this church family where... Um, I think a number of people would think I want to maybe do that a little more anonymously. Um, I don't want my sin to be exposed with people I'm, you know, seeing in other contexts throughout the week. That would be awkward. Um, yet the the goal is not just to bring your dirty laundry into the light, although we're commanded to do that, and that's part of the process. But I'm, I'm intrigued by what you're talking about is that it's meant to produce love. And how do you see that building up the body of Christ and building the church in unity and love? You're asking about uh, like how to encourage the person who's concerned about it being more public or just like encouraging them with how it's producing love by being known? Yeah, I guess I'm trying to get at like, should we be doing this with people in our church family and people who are near and dear to us? Or is oh, okay. it better to seek out like kind of a maybe more anonymous group of people. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that question. I, I just can't think of a better place to pursue accountability than in my own church family. Mm. Uh, it may be tempting to want to find it elsewhere. And there and there may be really good reasons, like in, in a Christian counseling context or something where a certain situation should be kept to a counseling room. This group isn't a counseling group, so I could imagine that situation. But... Um, to the person that's really uh, concerned about exposing their sin around the Christians they meet with at church every week, I would just encourage them that their fears aren't going to come true. Those those believers aren't going to reject them and look down on them the following Sunday. Uh, we just feel a, a deeper friendship and a closeness as a result of walking through these things together. It's a lot like like that band of brothers idea in the same fight together. You just you draw closer. I've never um, seen that movie wow or that those shows it's the show that michael told me that was his favorite show michael lawrence yeah Hmm. yeah um yeah so i just think that there isn't a better place to pursue accountability than in your church uh anyway um and one of the main reasons being is that like our accountability group doesn't have teeth like we're not going to go steal each other's phones or jump through the window like it's not like a response team that's going to you know snap into action it's really ordinary. Um, the only real like safeguard, um, just that extra level of help is that if something goes really wrong as a member of the church, uh, you, you may undergo church discipline. And one of the, the best things that could happen is that your sin is exposed, um, willingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but 
one of the best things about accountability within your own church family is that you have that extra commitment that it's not just based on a shared sin struggle. It's not just um, like there's more of a commitment there that's built in. It, even if things get difficult or go sideways, you're not just going to get cut loose and disappear. Like we're agreeing to, to love one another. And if we have to come after each other. Um, so I just think that if you set up an anonymous group outside your church family, that commitment only runs so deep. Can you tell me if this would be an example of coming after each other? Um, when I was in college, I had a roommate who wanted me to hold him accountable for a particular sin. And he said, uh, Dan, if I sin again in this way, I want you to kick me mm. um, as hard as you can in a very sensitive area of his body. And uh, old. Yeah, he did. He did fall into that sin, unfortunately. Did you kick him? Well, I didn't want to, but he insisted. And and so I did. <laughs> so that's what that's often what uh, I, that image did, of him writhing around on the floor. Did is his what life I think change of. after that? I, I don't know. He may still not be the same. I, uh, he got up off the floor eventually. Yeah, I had a deal like that in eighth grade. Uh, I had a struggle with with uh, using uh, foul language, and I told the guys to punch me, and I, I didn't cuss. Just for punch like, you anywhere. Uh, I, I think I asked in the face and I wow. made it a year until I first tried to play golf and uh, I broke my promise. Oh, but they, the they punched course. you. They didn't like swing a club at you. Um, I think by that point, the accountability uh, statute of limitations have been met. So they never found out. So this is, I'm sure, really motivating people to to get um, get accountability from you or me, um, for sure. But what those but, aren't recommendations. But what really should be our motivation to be seeking accountability? Yeah, um, our motivation is not um, it's not just to get rid of your sin. Hmm. Uh, the The place we start is that we have been predestined, adopted, redeemed, justified in Christ. All of that has already happened for us. So we don't seek to pursue holiness and kill our sin to earn God's favor, not to become a child of his. Uh, we already are all those things. And so we're just trying to become a better imitator of who he is. We're trying to learn what it's like living in the household. Um, so it's not performance to earn God's favor. We, we're we pursuing this because He he's already given us that favor and that's motivating us. Um, so it's the foundation of this accountability is grace. God's already come after us. He's already renewed us and given us new hearts. And he's promised to be with us and to empower that transformation. So that's why we're serious about depending on the spirit, because God's promised he's going to finish this good work he started in us. Um, he's going to bring that. And in a lot of the, the verses I was looking at in the New Testament, they point to that that last day, that last day of Jesus. At the end of Jude, he talks about, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before his presence with great glory and joy. And even um, this past Sunday, when Michael was in Revelation 7, that picture of uh, when the judgment is given, there's silence in heaven. And it's not just the silence of the accuser, He's not only silenced, but your own conscience, your own shame, your own guilt is silent because God has said the final word about you and it's not guilty. And Amen. then it's rest in heaven. Amen. And our motivation is God's going to bring us there. So in the meantime, we have all the motivation in the world uh, to keep going. Um, I read a, a quote earlier today uh, from Desiring God. Uh, we want to be those people that have heaven inside of us before we're in heaven. Mm -hmm. And our accountability and sanctification are just us becoming more more and more like how we'll be in heaven. 
Okay, so I could, that's really helpful, Austin. I could imagine like one of two people listening to this uh, podcast episode, and maybe there's one person who's thinking, you know, I don't really struggle with pornography or outbursts of anger or cussing or um, things that you might normally associate with needing to get accountability for, maybe uh, abusing Mm -hmm. substances, things like that. Um, Maybe you're someone who struggles having consistent quiet time or more sins of omission, um, pride, uh, should kind of give a case for more of that second, the latter group of people seeking accountability. Why, why Why should someone who's struggling maybe to have a consistent quiet time even someone like that that's kind of seems like a little bit of a benign issue yeah well this was uh this was a bigger point i was hoping to make is that every christian needs accountability Mm -hmm. like no one's exempt from that it's not just those that struggle with one of those big sins that everyone knows is a problem we all need that help uh to be accountable to walking in the light and pursuing jesus and um that that may not mean you need to go to a two-hour meeting twice a month so you may not need that. But you level. guys do do that. Oh yeah. And there's so there's oh, two yeah. groups, um, men's groups. Yeah. At Henson. Mm-hmm. And if they wanted more information, they could reach out to you. Yeah. Or Ian Shanahan or Darren Edwards or Christian Wahlberg. Um, those are like the two leaders of each group. They meet on Saturdays. Yeah. Both groups are meeting on. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's opposite Saturdays uh, from uh, ten to twelve. So a couple times a month. A couple times a month. Okay. Um, and then uh, recently, I'm in Travis and Rebecca Smith's small group, and uh, Travis decided that once a month, our group will break in half, uh, and the guys will get together, the girls will get together, and they'll basically do accountability there. That's great. So uh, even if it's uh, like small group leaders deciding, like, you know, we need that extra level of help with spiritual disciplines, just other parts of Christian living, that's a great opportunity to do that that isn't like a the accountability group of, you know, uh, it's just more common. And then I think just in our discipling relationships, um, it should already be there anyhow, but that's a very uh, good place to just add in those questions of, so how's your practice? How are you actually uh, doing with fighting your sin? What are you struggling with? Um, How are you doing with spiritual disciplines? So those normal friendships, discipling groups, small groups, accountability can be folded into all of those. Uh, And I think a lot of simple ways um, but if you're also the person who's just rock bottom struggling with a sin that has mm-hmm. been there for years, uh, those Saturday accountability groups are great for those. Definitely. That's really helpful. So I, what I hear you saying is that we should be praying and striving for a culture at our church where when you get together with a brother or sister for coffee, mm-hmm. uh, get together to, to hang out and seeking to do spiritual good to one another, so kind of this informal discipleship or discipling, yeah. um, that we should fold in maybe a confession of sin. Here's yeah. a sin that I'm struggling with. Uh, I was wondering, I wanted to confess that to you, Right. ask for you to ask me, give you permission to ask me about this uh, going forward, yeah. but also like looking for encouragement, looking for that brother or sister to point you to the gospel as you're struggling, as you're maybe feeling discouraged by uh, how you've become entangled with sin or have fallen into sin. Yeah, absolutely. I would underline all of that. And the funny thing is in my own Christian life, I had spiritual friendships before mm-hmm. the accountability group, mm-hmm. but since we weren't uh, like planning to ask each other questions, there wasn't a structure to it. Mm-hmm. We didn't consistently have that conversation. And when it happened on its own, it was really great. But I spent a lot of years just languishing under some sin because I wasn't consistently making myself vulnerable to those Christian friends that could have helped me out. There were there were moments where I did. 
Um, but I, I could have, I could have grown a lot faster and had a lot more help had I done it more often. And that's the good thing about a group that you set aside time for mm-hmm. is you're planning to be confronted because whenever you're really deep in sin and shame, you're not really going to go out of your way to be confronted. Um, I think back to whenever you were doing me and Kelsey's marriage counseling, it was so helpful once a month to have you sit down and confront us lovingly. Sometimes I'd stand up and yell at you though. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't do that. I don't think so. There were a lot of sharp left turns in those conversations, but I don't remember you standing up and yelling. Yeah. I try try not to do that. So if you're listening and you want to have marriage counseling, Dan and Ashley are wonderful. He's not going to yell at you. But he's going to ask you pointed, loving questions. And I, I learned a lot from how you asked us questions. And that's been working into accountability group uh, for sure. And just back to something you said earlier, uh, our Saturday group spends time talking about like time and spiritual disciplines, your understanding of the gospel. We talk about all of that. And we're not just repenting of one major sin. We're trying mm-hmm. to bring out all of the sins we struggle with and and help each other walk through those things. Um and what's really great about that is those group of guys know the sins I struggle with the most. So they, they can spot patterns. They can spot uh, things that I don't see. And that's one of the most important things you get out of accountability is sin blinds us mm-hmm. and we need someone else that can see. That's great. Yeah. Uh, finally and briefly, Austin, any resources that you would point us to in thinking about the subject of accountability? Maybe are there lists of questions online from trusted resor- uh, websites uh, that we could use in our accountability? Anything that uh, comes to mind? I'm not going to lie. I didn't find an online resource. I wrote my own. Uh, So I can read those and then send this to anybody that wants it. Um, So I have a list of questions in a a few books, but um, one of the the books that the book, one of the books that the group was doing when I started was uh, Hide and Seek. Mm. And I can't remember the name of that author, but it was a book. something. Yeah. It was a book about like deception in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, our group's been going through Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, And that's not an accountability book but it's been the most helpful tool in helping us confess our sin better because it convinces you that Jesus loves to hear from his people and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. So Gentle and Lowly was a great one. Um, there's another book called With All Your Heart by Craig Toxel, and it's a study of the human heart across the Bible and helps you get at those uh, tendencies in our hearts that lead us to sin and you know, any good accountability or sanctification is dealing with your heart. And that book is just a wonderful tool with understanding those problems and then how to address them. Um, and then uh, the Ed Welch, When People Are Big and God Is Small, book mm. about the fear of man is really, really helpful. We'll, um, put, and then, we'll put some of these in the podcast yeah. notes. Oh, you had one more thing? And I was just going to say, the Bible's really good too. The Bible's a good one. Yeah. I mean, you we'll don't have to the have the perfect uh, Christian resource book. Uh, scripture is mm-hmm. the we were going through that over the summer because we realized um, we all struggle to read the Bible, but we meet twice a month. So let's Mm. just read the Bible together Mm -hmm. no matter what. Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's uh, worth saying. Um, Austin, you've been great. Oh wait, wrong one. Uh, I hope you guys have been helped by this uh, discussion. Austin, thank you for coming in and talking about these things. Really helpful. Have fun at the beach. Oh, I will. Thanks, Dan. People love lasagna. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit, particularly Garfield and my kids. Who? Uh, David Fisher told me of a place in Newburgh that has the best lasagna, like in the world. In the world? Yeah.
yeah, he was very over the top with uh, his we description. We drove to, to Newburgh the other day and I did not have lasagna, but I, I didn't realize I missed out. Yeah, you could you could talk to David about that. 